0: there we go. We woke up. Um, it's, it's great to be here, uh, and that is no exaggeration. Uh, for a number of reasons, I have a number of friends in this church, people that I've known for decades, not just the Shoreys, uh, but the Parishes and others. I uh, saw Helen out in the lobby this, mor- uh, this afternoon as well. And so there's a number of people here that I, I do know and are, are very dear to me. And uh, played a key role in my life as well. So I'm grateful for that. Uh, we have heard so much over the time. I've heard about this church um, from probably day one, uh, the beginnings of this church and what God was doing here through Tim. Uh, Tim and I have a good, re- uh, great relationship, known each other a long time. Uh, Tim was a regional leader, so he was over at our church. We meet as friends, as couples we meet. Um, and so I was always hearing the story of what was God was doing in this church in some unique ways um, that he's doing here, and, and just so grateful to hear that. And I want you to understand this. It's, um, uh, I, I know you have a strong pastoral team. Tim's a, a gifted preacher, but I want to say to you this as a congregation, you've made your pastor happy. This is a happy man. And, uh, and because he's such a dear friend to me, I'm grateful to you that you've made him so happy. Um, and that's not true. You know, pastors, sometimes it's hard work, but you as a congregation, as people, have made him happy. And uh, so thank you for making him happy, and I'm sure the other guys as well. Uh, but that's, that's a, a wonderful, a wonderful thing. Um, one of the, the great blessings of the role, which Tim will probably share with you along the way, um, is you get to hear what God's doing in other sovereign grace churches. So I was recently up in New England. Uh, a King of Grace Church up in Haverhill, uh, Massachusetts, and to hear what God was doing up there, actually they're saying right now, New England's experiencing revival. It's the fastest growing place for Christianity in the country, which is un- amazing. Now, that's going from like 0.1% to 2%. So it's tremendous growth with a tremendous field uh, that's left over. We now have four ch- uh, churches in New England with a fifth being planned in the Salem, Massachusetts, which is the center of witchcraft. I mean, they built their whole town around witchcraft. So that's their tourism, that's their industry, that's their identity. We're about to plant a church uh, into, that, uh, into that area. And actually, they say the Wiccans uh, are actually more receptive to spiritual things than you might think because they're spiritually minded. Um, so we want to pray the gospel advances there. We had a dream once to have one church in New England. We have, this is going to be our fifth. We had a dream once that we'd have one church in Philadelphia. Today was sending Sunday for our fifth church in Philadelphia as Grace City Church is planning another church in the Frankfurt, uh, the Frankfurt area in, in Philadelphia. So the gospel is expanding really beyond our imagination and not limited to sovereign grace. Um, you know, there's other churches, so I don't know the church that, that Leo prayed for this morning, but it sounds like the gospel's ringing true there as well. And say, well, thank God we need many voices, right? We need many voices uh, that are proclaiming the gospel. And we can have real go- uh, gospel partnerships across all sorts of boundaries. Um, uh, I, have, I have a group of guys I get to with, get with every Wednesday, area pastors, and we pr- all we do is pray. Um, we're not having all these events together, but we pray together. And uh, we've shared pulpits with one another at different times, and it's just wonderful to say, you yeah, know, I can commend that church right down the road, because they're preaching the gospel. So if our church isn't a fit, try that one, because we're not a fit for everybody, and that's okay. Um, so that's one of the great blessings uh, of the role, and I know, Tim, you, you felt that, uh, to see God working and hear how God's working it is wonderful. Um, now, I do realize this, and this is the last comment I'll make before we get into God's Word. Um, I, I heard Galen and Kim whispering, I think Galen was thanking Kim, like, I know this is probably Sunday afternoon, can be nap time for pastors often. And my wife leaned over and said, I hope I don't fall asleep during the message, which didn't give me a lot of confidence coming to the pulpit right now. Um, so hopefully, hopefully, I'll <laughs> hopefully I'll keep your, keep your attention. If my wife no- uh, dozes off just Just give her a little nudge. Uh, All right. Um, If you have your Bibles with you, open up to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Uh, Last year, a a dear friend, um, Bill Patton, who's an elder at Covenant Fellowship Church, some of you know, church that sort of birthed this church as well, uh, preached a message at our church called Life's Bewildering Turns. And those turns can happen in a moment, can't they? You know, things are just sort of going smooth, and then there's a bewildering turn. For that high school in Florida, there was a bewildering turn, unanticipated, couldn't anticipate, and, and while we are aware of the crisis, forever has changed lives. People are going to live with that for the rest of their lives, live with loss for the rest of their lives. There can be job things, that I, I had a job on Monday, and maybe I didn't have a job on Tuesday. Sometimes it's a health report. Uh, that comes in. And actually, you like, wow, that, that one report just shook things in a way that were unshaken prior to that doctor's visit. But sometimes it's a relationship. Like I didn't anticipate this would happen. Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's with aging parents. Maybe it's with children. You're like, this shakes me. Um, maybe there's been a, a death. Um, we had a guy give a testimony today uh, of a high school friend, uh, actually long, longer than a high school friend, a friend for 18 years, a guy who struggled with addictions, came to our church in the fall, um, gave his life to Christ, and crossing Route 73 last week, was hit by a car and killed. But sort of like the thief on the cross, didn't have a, life, a long life to live for Christ, but was saved by Christ. And now so those are terms... What do you do when a turn comes and hits you? And sometimes that can shake us. Well, this morning when I want to talk to you about something that grounds us when life takes those kinds of turns. Um, and, and sometimes turns, by the way, can be intense and short-lived. Sometimes turns last for decades. I think it's one thing, you know, to rally around the crisis. But what about when you have something chronic? You know, Tim's had chronic headaches for decades. My son has Crohn's disease. It's chronic. And, you know, that can have its own wear on one. What do you do in those moments when life's taking those kinds of turns? Well, this morning, it's a grounding truth. This is something that's sure, regardless of where you find yourself today, and that's Christ as our good shepherd. So, John chapter 10, verses 1 through 18, it's just the title of the message is, Our Good Shepherd. The main point is this, the good shepherd loves us like none other. And I hope that hits you this morning. The good shepherd loves us like none other. So John 10, verse 1 through verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. This charge I have received from my Father. Let's pray. Lord, I pray your blessing upon the reading of your words which you have thus done. And now I pray your blessing upon the preaching of your word. Lord, you gather your people because you love them. You have preserved these words because you want to reveal yourself to them. So Lord, I pray that you would do that this afternoon, that you would bless us now, that we would hear the shepherd's voice, and we would follow the shepherd's voice. So, claim us afresh, Lord, for those that maybe right now need to be rescued because they're wandering rescue afresh, for those that are discouraged, encourage afresh, I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. The context of this passage, Jesus in this text is comparing himself as the good shepherd to the religious leaders. Now, please understand, the religious leaders had no real care for the sheep. They actually acted as thieves and robbers who served and cared for themselves but not for God's people. And actually, one of the ways they did that, they actually mistaught the Word of God and therefore starved the people of the Word of God which still can happen in some pulpits in America. So when you preach a prosperity gospel, you are actually starving your people of the Word of God. When you drift from the cross, you are starving people from what they need to hear most. When you compromise doctrine, you're starving people. So so Jesus is talking about this, and, and probably Jesus' sharpest rebukes and God's sharpest rebukes throughout Scripture are at, are at the shepherds who are really not acting as shepherds. And you read the Old Testament, he has severe rebukes for them. They also acted, the religious leaders acted as hirelings who would leave the flock at the first sign of trouble. They hit, the, they hit the highway. They headed for the hills. But he is the good shepherd. Now, important to note in this metaphor, if Jesus is the good shepherd, what does that make us? sheep. Now, that's not the most complimentary term he could have used. Okay, that's not a term of strength and wisdom. That's a term of weakness and foolishness. It's not a term of self-sufficiency. It is a term of absolute dependence. See, sheep are essentially helpless and defenseless. Helpless. Sheep are, they get lost easily. They panic. They walk off cliffs, and and I studied this about sheep. They walk off cliffs voluntarily and walk into fires. Now, think about that. Maybe you walk off a cliff, you didn't anticipate gravity. Maybe sheep can't understand gravity. They just thought they could keep going. But you would think a fire, you would feel heat. like This is getting warm. This is getting uncomfortably warm. And sheep have been known to walk into fires. They are are overeating. So I can relate that way at least to sheep. They overeat. They get their heads stuck in fences and will do so again and again. You would think after doing it once, you wouldn't do it again. But now they'll just go right back and get stuck again. They're susceptible to all kinds of diseases. In other words, what's the picture? Sheep are utterly dependent. They're also defenseless. They're easy pickings for predators. Think this way. There are, I mean, have you ever heard this? Hey, folks, be careful when you go out today. There's some rogue sheep loose. I mean, there's some sheep on the loose in Drexel Hill, so don't walk alone because they are, they are moving in herds right now. Right? Sheep aren't dangerous. I mean, have you noticed I don't think there's a football team named sheep. <laughs> yeah, fly, eagle. <laughs> Somehow sheep can't just get a song for sheep. They're helpless. They're defenseless. Why that picture? Why this metaphor? Guy could have used a lot of metaphors. Jesus could have said a lot of other illustrations. Why this metaphor of him being the shepherd and us being shaped. It's meant to highlight that we need a shepherd. We're not meant to go alone. We're not meant to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We're not meant to be self-sufficient. You know, it's not when, hey, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. That's not a Christian ethic. We are weak, we are dependent, and therefore we need a shepherd, and we have a shepherd. So let's draw our attention to the good shepherd in this text and see what he does. First, the good shepherd knows the sheep. The good shepherd knows the sheep. Look at verse 3. To him the here opens, the sheep hears his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. He calls his own sheep by name. He knows us personally. Verse 14, you're going to see it again. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. And we didn't read this, but if you look down in verse 27, you'll find it again where it says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Here's the point. Jesus knows us personally, specifically, and lovingly. He has complete knowledge. Please think about this. Jesus is never getting to know you better. Nobody can say that in any relationship. I've been married for 38 years, going on 39. I've known my wife since we were 13 and 14. So I've known her for 44 years. We're still learning. Because guess what? We change. And now we're aging. And now we're learning who we are in our 50s, getting near 60. And we're learning. And there's things we don't always know. And because what, you know, we make misassumptions at times. It's one of the bases of conflicts. You have expectations and misassumptions, and you miss each other. God never misses us, He knows you completely. He knows you better in one sense than you know yourself. He knows your strengths, your ambitions, He knows your sins, and those sins that you're most tempted by. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your difficulties and trials. And they're not too big nor too small. Remember when I had a trial? Uh, I had torn meniscus in a, in a knee and the doctor said there was nothing they could do. And I'd never run. I was done hiking, which ended up not being true. And things that I love to do. And, uh, and I remember just being depressed for a day. And just saying, look, I- I'm pretty steady and I'll get back. But today I'm sad. And I thought of my son who has Crohn's disease, who's got a colostomy, who's lost a few feet of his intestines. And as we were talking to each other, it was almost an embarrassment of like, man, compared to your trial, my trial is so insignificant. And you know what he said to me? Dad, everybody's trial is their own. And your trial is yours and you feel it. It was really good pastoral counsel that I got from my son. It was very caring. And I thought, you know what? Jesus does care about my name. It may not be the same trial as someone else, but for me, it was my trial. And maybe somewhere we can get off perspective on our trials, but when you're in a trial, it's yours. Jesus knows your trials. Jesus knows the parts of our personality that we don't like and sometimes seek to hide. There's those parts of you that are like, yeah, I was just too loud or I was too quiet or I wish I was this person, I wish I was like that. He knows those things. He knows all of that. I love this. Jesus is never surprised. He's never going to say this to us. Boy, if only I knew. Man, I was saving a lot of people. And I swept you in. If only I knew who I had picked. Humans can feel that sometimes. Boy, if only I knew. I don't know if I would have entered this if only I knew. But for Jesus, our good shepherd, he knows. Listen to how Charles Spurgeon describes this. He has an intimate knowledge of all who are redeemed with his most precious blood. He knows the secrets ins and outs of every one of us better than any one of us knows himself. He knows our trials and knows our sins. When he chose us, he knew what we were. And what we should be. He did not buy his sheep in the dark. He did not choose us without knowing all the devious ways of our past and future lives. Herein lieth the splendor of his grace. They say of human love that it is blind. But Christ's love has many eyes. And all its eyes are open. And yet he still loves us. So when you were first became a Christian and you had that, that, sort of that newlywed love of the Lord and I'm just going to love Him and follow Him forever and He's made all the difference, He knew at one point you would wander. That that passion would wane. That you would stumble and fall. And He saw that and loved you anyway. Folks, the one who knows us best Loves us best. So, who loves you best? It's not a family member. It's not even a spouse. The one who knows you best loves you best, and that is our good shepherd. And not only does he know us, he then makes himself known. We see the same things in, in the same verses of 3, 14, and 27. So, the same thing. He calls the sheep, he leads them out, they, they recognize his voice. They recognize him. They follow him in all those same verses. Do you remember there was a time when you didn't really know Christ? Now, for some of you, that may be very hard. Maybe you got saved early. I I was saved early in my life. So I can't say, boy, there was this time, you know. Now, my understanding of being saved, my understanding of being a Christian was very shallow. But there wasn't this time, I think for some people, when you get saved later in life, like, oh, I know. I had 20 years. I had 30 years of living my own life my own way. I know what it was like to not know Christ and not be known by him. So there was a time we didn't know Christ. There was a time when Christianity, for some, made no sense, and you had no interest. And then something changed. Jesus made himself known. And these things that at one point didn't make sense began to make sense. And your treasure changed. And everything about you changed. and Everything you began to live for changed. Your hope changed. Your dreams changed. Why? Because he made himself known. Do you understand? Every time you read the Bible and it makes sense to you, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. There's many works of the Holy Spirit. Right? The gifts of the Spirit are many and varied. But one is illumination of truth. Folks, we're not smarter than other people. And we're not better morally than other people. I've met good people. I'm like, that person's a better person than me. Why are they not saved? I'm not better. They do more good deeds. They serve. They, They do much more. Why me? Because God has made himself known. He didn't choose me because I had an inclination, because I was smarter, because I was better, because he saw more potential. He chose me for, for reasons that I think are a mystery in Scripture other than sovereign will. But he made himself known. I think, oh, Lord, your voice is the most precious voice. It is the voice that gives life. Folks, what a sure thing to know him and to be known by him. He loves us like none other. Second point. The good shepherd cares for the sheep. The good shepherd cares for the sheep. Look at verses 9 through 12. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What do we see in these verses? I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life. He cares for the sheep. The hired hand runs away and leaves the sheep and flees, but not the good shepherd. So what's the good shepherd do? Well, one, he protects the sheep. He protects us. That does not mean we may not die. (laughs) Because then the New Testament really wouldn't ring true, would it? He actually... Told them how they were going to die often. And many of them died those deaths. But they were protected. There's no sense of Paul walking through life where he didn't feel the protection of God. He knew he was under the shepherd's care. And he would live as long as God willed him to live. And no one would just take his life unless God allowed. So there was protection I love what it says, uh, what David writes in Psalm 23, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. And in Psalm 78, verses 52 and 53, the following said, Then he led out his people like sheep. Hear the tenderness of this, because you're going to have a contrast uh, in this. He led them out like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He led them in safety so they were not afraid. But the sea overwhelmed their enemies. Do you see what you're having? He led them like a shepherd. And by the way, he crushed their enemies. Yeah, those Egyptians that were following them, destroyed. Did they take up arms? No. Did they deliver themselves in any way, shape, or form? No. Exodus is, the ex- pictures of grace in Exodus are profound. And they're all over the book of Exodus in the foreshadowing of the cross of Christ and the grace of God. So he protects. There's gentleness in that protection, but there's also mighty and fierceness in that protection. Remember how Jesus responded to Paul on his way to Damascus Road? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? There's a voice of authority there. Hey, these are my people. In fact, I so identify with my people, I consider when you attack them, you're attacking me. It's all off the horse. And his life is radically changed. So there's protection, there's also provision. There's physical provision, there's pasture. God gives us physical provision. But you know what else? I think the, the big thing here is there's spiritual f- uh, provision. We have the forgiveness of sin. All sin, past, present, and future. That's provision. That's abundant life. There's justification that we are declared righteous. How's God see me? In my faults, in my muck, in my mire? No, He sees me in the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. There's a beautiful picture in Zechariah 3 where we where uh, Joshua was going before the, before the Lord, in a sense, and he's just clothed with these dirty clothes. And Satan's there accusing us. Satan's good at what he does. He accuses you not when you're doing well, when you're doing poorly. <laughs> so he's going to point out, like, you just were angry. You were just lustful. Well, you were just angry. You can't sit there and say, well, I wasn't, you know, as you were screaming your head at someone or, you know, looking lustful or co- coveting or whatever it was. You're like, yeah, I'm guilty. Yeah, you're guilty, and how dare you think you can stay in the presence of God? But the picture doesn't end there, the vision doesn't end there. The vision ends with one coming to take the dirty robes off and putting clean robes on. So we have justification, we are declared righteous. He gives us His Holy Spirit, He restores our soul. Again, when I think of Psalm 23, and how often does He restore our soul? Again and again. And again, we're in a series at home in 2nd Corinthians, and 2nd Corinthians 1 begins with the God of all comfort. And thought, you know, how often do I need God's comfort? Again and again and again. Not once, but over and over. He gives us eternal life, and He does all this with abundance. We do not exhaust the forgiveness of God. We do not exhaust what justification can do for us. We do not exhaust how he feeds us through his word. We do not exhaust how he gives us his Holy Spirit. We do not exhaust him in his rescuing work, his restoring work. And when you consider that, in light of what we deserve, this is what I get. I get all these things. Now here's the greatest thing of all. Of all those blessings I just told you. Justification, forgiveness of sin, all those things. What's the greatest thing of all that he gives us? Himself. That is the greatest thing. Listen to how John Piper describes this. Abundant life is not about having stuff. It's about having God. The apex of abundant life is the worship of Jesus Christ. He loves us. Like none other. He knows his sheep. He cares for his sheep. say to our last point. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for, for the sheep. And this is the most important part of this text. When you, look, when you read Scripture, you say, okay, what, what's the big idea that's jumping out? Here's the big idea that's jumping out. All the ideas are important. But the big idea it's jumping out, he lays down his life for the sheep. It's most important. It's repeated five times in seven verses. So in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd what? Lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 15, he says it again. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And then in verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me. Why? Because I lay down my life. Then I might take it up again. And then again in verse 18, he does it here again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. The Good Shepherd does many great things for us. He knows us unlike anyone else. He cares for us. Here's the ultimate proof of his love for us. And he loves us like none other. He laid down his life. This is his greatest expression of love for the sheep. And folks, you know what he wants us to know? He wants us to know that he did that willingly. Look at verse 18. No one takes it from me. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. Did Pilate take his life? N- not really. The soldiers? No, not really. The chief priests? No, not really. I mean, as you read through Matthew and you read through the Gospels, there's these times when you can tell the rage of the crowd is, we want to kill him now. We're going to throw them off a cliff. And Jesus is like, well, not now. Not now. You're not doing that now. When I choose... That's when it will happen. It's going to happen at the right time, in the right moment, and you're not going to get ahead of it. I'm in charge. And I'll lay it down. And so in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Peter pulls his sword and says, not now, Lord, it's not now time for you to lay down your life. She says, no, it is time. Put your sword away. And by the way, I don't need your sword. I could call legions of, a- of angels down. And if you're in the Old Testament, it seems like one angel killed over 100,000 people in one of the Old Testament books. So, like, I got, I got an army that can do my bidding. I have authority to lay my life down and take it up. I, w- I often wonder when Jesus was on the cross and they're saying, come down and we'll believe. you know he could have? Can you imagine what that would have been like? I'm here. You have something to say? You? Uh, you, you asked me to come down. Well, I'm down. Now what? Now the sad thing of the human heart, apart from grace, is we would just try to nail them back up. They weren't lacking evidence. And we think if a miracle will convince someone, Jesus rose, raised Lazarus from the dead. It didn't convince them. They just wanted to kill him more. That shows you the human heart apart from God's sovereign grace coming in to do something. This is why the gospel not only humbles us, I mean, it brings us joy, but it humbles us. Yeah. I mean, Lazarus is raised from the dead. Immediately, we need to kill Lazarus and Jesus. You just saw a resurrection after God was in the grave for four days. You're not even pausing to think. Maybe we've got it wrong. Jesus is laying down his life. The willingness of of him laying down his life shows his love. Again, quoting John Piper, Jesus wants us to know that he did this willingly. He says, we see the depth of Jesus' love in the freedom of it, the willingness of it, the eagerness of it, the gladness of it. He was not forced into doing what he was not willing and eager to do. He loved us with all his heart. So it's not Pilate. It's not the soldiers. not the chief priests. It is Christ. So the next time you doubt, and by the way, you probably will doubt somewhere, look at this text. The next time Satan whispers to you, doubts. And Satan will whisper doubts. Look at this text. And then not only do we have this laying down of his life, we have an incredible statement in the second half of verse 18. It's one thing to lay down your life, right? There are men that have laid down their life for other men. Right? We, we call them heroes. There were some heroes, if I read the story right, in the Florida school shooting. See, so, say, but that's... There's heroes. But here's what nobody can say. I lay down my life, and by the way, I can also take it back. No one says that. That is unique in all history. These words, and by the way, folks, these words are either true or they're the greatest lie ever. If you don't know Christ here today, I hope you hear the shepherd calling you. I, I hope you hear, I hope you're like, you know what, this hasn't always made sense, but there's something. The shepherd, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing a, a voice. And then think about this. He laid down his life for you, and he took it back again. Wow, that Christianity stands or falls on that, the truth of that statement. It's crucial. Did he take it back again? It's an incredible statement. See, folks, think about it this way. A dead shepherd would do us no good. We might memorialize him. Hey, remember Jesus? Boy, he was a great man. He died for his friends. I mean, he took the bullet that was meant for Peter and John, and he just got in front of it. But, you know, all I have is a memory, a plaque. Doesn't he take away his heroism, you know, doesn't make less of a hero, but I don't benefit from a dead shepherd. I need a living shepherd who can continue to know me and know me best and love me and protect me and lead me and feed me and claim me as his own. It is incredible. The dead shepherd, folks, we would be left to the wolves and we would be scattered. But he defeated death and he did take his life back. So these are the sure things. When life takes those bewildering turns that can happen in a moment, well, what do I know? I'm not going to lessen my suffering, I'm not going to minimize my trial. Bible nowhere minimizes trials. Read the Psalms if you're in trials. They're very real. Christians call out throughout the ages, how long, O Lord? That's a cry in Scripture. By the way, that's a cry of justice from the saints in heaven. How long, O Lord, until our blood will be saved? How long, O Lord? It's, it's a biblical cry. If you're in suffering, you might be saying, how long, O Lord? It's not an ungodly cry, but we can go here and say, I don't know how long, but I know you have a shepherd who knows you and who knows your trial, and he loves you like none other, and he knows when you've wandered, and he knows when you've had a happy face but have been stuck in unbelief. He's not learning something new, and you've not hidden a thing from him, and he loves you anyway. And he's going to care for you. And by the way, this shepherd, he laid down his life for you. And he took it back again. He loves us like none other. So I want to to close by reading a slightly altered version of Psalm 23. But I believe it's consistent with John chapter 10. Jesus is my shepherd. I shall not want. Jesus makes me lie down in green pastures. Jesus leads me beside still waters. Jesus restores my soul. Jesus leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for Jesus is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. Jesus prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Jesus anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of Jesus forever. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for being our good shepherd. But if there's one thing I need in my life, it's a shepherd. Because I really am a sheep. Sometimes I do dumb things and I'm stubborn and I'll do them again. And yet you know me and you love me and you rescue me and you restore me again and again and again. And Jesus, someday you're going to call me home and call all of us in this room home. And then we're not just going to hear your voice. We're going to see your face. Well, we've had some great saints that have died in the last few months. R.C. Sproul, the great theologian who's now with his Lord and understands his theology better than he ever did. Billy Graham, this week, Lord, the great evangelist, preached the gospel and the gift of salvation to so many. And now, Lord, his salvation is more alive to him than ever. And Lord, for this young man that nobody knows, Danny, who was run over by a car last week, who was only a Christian for a couple months, and a struggling Christian, he's with his Savior as well. And you are the good shepherd of his soul. So thank you that you are our good shepherd and that you love us like none other. May that truth ground us when life shakes us. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Warren. My shepherd has restored my soul.